Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for the lovely reception of my last video on Angela de Foulignon. I'm going to continue talking about the steps. We'll see how many we can get through. So if this is your first introduction to her, um, basically she was a 13th century Umbrian Italian Franciscan mystic who began her initiation on her spiritual journey and path when she was almost 40. Um, she, by that time, she was married, she was a mother, um, she is a relatively privileged economically uh, and socially, you know, woman, and um, she was officially declared a saint in October 2013. Her works are not written, she didn't write her own works, but they were dictated to a relative who was a scribe and uh, also a Franciscan brother in the church. So we don't supposedly have access to the complete depth and intimacies of her ecstatic vision. Um, because both of her and her scribe discuss how he was writing in such haste and he actually was receiving um, sort of criticism from his own brothers in the spiritual community. I guess there was some suspicions that he was spending so much time with her and just about what they were writing and so they, you know, he says that himself that it was a short and effective version of her experience and he also records her saying um, being you know she, he read back what he was writing and she said that it like lacked it was dry and it lacked savor <laughs> and um um so yeah uh, but I think that as readers we don't really see that there's a lot of passion and beauty in the text and there's a lot of for us to gain in terms of inspiration and commiseration. So I'm on the 10th step and I think what just as a maybe a quick preview what stands out to me is um, that all along the journey even though she is um, in, you know accumulating time and effort in her commitment to this journey it's not um, a linear path necessarily like she still goes through throughout all of these steps she still goes through a roller coaster of emotions her shame and self-doubt kind of from the past kind of creep up and she shares all of these challenges that she has with trying to carve out um, as a woman specifically the time and the space that she needs in order to spend time contemplating and visualizing and meditating and manifesting the divine and kind of following the path that she wants. She has this desire as um, was dominant in the Franciscan community to um, put this computer up, um, this other computer up, um, to relinquish all her possessions and to be in basically abject poverty. She wanted to give everything away and she had sort of this almost like I don't know I don't want to say self-punishing but it kind of seems like that desire to experience hardship and um, in her body 
in order to, uh, I guess, align or embody the sufferings of Christ. And so whether this is really a healthy uh, kind of path to take, it was her decision and it was her desire and it was her journey in dealing with intrusive thoughts and intrusive emotions and trying to trying to figure out a balance between love and confidence and acceptance and just the gratitude that made her like fall humbly toward her vision and her understanding of the divine um but she you'll see as we go through these steps that she talks about how people in her life um tried to dissuade her from from giving away her possessions and also were overly concerned about her in a way that wasn't actually i guess helpful to her um because they were worried that she was making herself sick and they were worried for her safety or her physical self but sometimes care can cross a line you know um I think that women need to, people need to understand that women can take care of themselves and be agents and make their own decisions that anyone can. But um, so often this sort of supposition of care gets gendered um, specifically. Um, Not all the time, but... I do think that it's in most cultures, women more than men, that that others feel the need to check up on um, for various reasons. So, you know, having, when you're an adult, having your parents or, you know, anyone really say, you know, well, call me when you get there or make sure you check up, check, uh, you know, you check in with me on your road trip or on your travels or where you're going. And okay, so on, you know, where I haven't heard from you for a long time, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. It's hard, it is so hard to know, right? If there's a genuine concern for someone, but sometimes this sort of care can seem like an intrusion, you know? Um, trust me to reach out to you if I need help. Trust that I can do that. Um, maybe I don't want to check in with you know, someone on my travels when I'm trying to be present and I don't necessarily want to make plans. I don't want to check the clock to see how many miles or how many minutes it is to my next destination, right? I don't want to invite into my space your anxiety for my flight or my road trip or, you know, whatever it is, my health. Maybe I am trying to focus on, you know, particular ideas and images and feelings. I don't, you know, necessarily, you know, it's unsolicited. And I did have a recent uh, experience just to give you an example of how this can be gendered is... Um, someone from my past and I'm only relating a story because I'm not saying his name and no one listening will will be able to identify this person and um, this person will never probably come across my videos Um, but someone from my past that I was involved with 
is a under the guise of, of caring. Um, I think, you know, there are, there are not like pure intentions behind this, but they contacted my parent. Again, I'm 42 years old. They contacted my parent and said, hey, maybe you should ask your daughter to come back um, to live in your state because women living by themselves are in danger. Or, you know, and he doesn't know my situation, if I'm living with roommates or I have a partner or, or whatever. He's just, I think he's trying to also gain information, but he's making an assumption. And so, you know, whether this is true or not, he is, is making the assumption that if she is by herself, she shouldn't be living alone. She, she needs to be near her parents. She needs to be with someone for protection. And he said, I'm also trying to convince my sister to move back home because of this too. Um, and so, and so this is kind of annoying because, you know, I think depending on your situation, if you were a woman, what do, what does a woman need in order for people to stop being parental and overprotective and worried about, you know, paths that a woman may take, adventures that a woman, women may take, um, what if she doesn't ever want to get married to a male person, um, she wants to be away from her family, she wants to travel by herself, or with friends, with other female friends, or live with female roommates, or, you know, have a female partner, whatever, there's a lot of, um, you know, possibilities, right, but the point is that you don't have sort of a father figure, or a husband, or whatever, a brother around you, and so she deals with this as well, um, and I just think back to, you know, the essay, A Room of One's Own, in order to, and I think I mentioned this last time, but this comes up like explicitly in her, in the steps that we're about to go over, um, she talks about needing so many hours, so much time, so that she can devote herself to the spiritual path, because that's what she needs. So to help her deal with her intrusive thoughts, her, you know, mental issues, whatever it is. And it is of my opinion that when various mystics talk about these temptations, and I might be relaying my modern interpretation over it, but... I don't think we have we can rule out the possibility or we should rule out the possibility that those were mental conditions that they were dealing with and that a lot of people who struggle with things like anxiety or voices or depression or whatever it is um follow you know try to seek out therapy community a spiritual path a philosophical path that will help them deal in healthy ways with it and, uh, um, you know, this is one possibility, one reading of various mystics. I'm going to have to turn on the light. Because, hello winter, it is not yet five and it is already getting dark. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and start. That was a long enough rant, but I hope that all of you are well, and I wish love and peace and and safety, feelings of safety and security to you. Um, okay, so right off, I think there's something interesting here in the 10th step. She says, in the 10th step, while I was asking God what I could do to please him more in his mercy, he appeared to me many times, both while I was asleep and awake. And she, she says really soon after that again, likewise, he appeared many times to me while I was awake. And these experience, appearances were more pleasant than those which occurred while I was asleep. And then she talks about memory, a memory is coming back to her so she can deal with those memories. She talks um, again, she points out um, in the 13th step, so just kind of moving on. Um, Thereupon the heart of Christ was shown to me during my sleep. And then in the 14th step, while I was standing in prayer, Christ on the cross appeared more clearly to me while I was awake. And then she has points, she has times in her steps where she is talking about, you know, she doesn't know whether she was asleep or awake. Um, For instance, in the 17th step, she says, then I began to receive consolation through dreams, which were numerous and gave me great comfort. But then my soul, the very next sentence, my soul began to experience the sweetness of God continually, both while I was awake and asleep. And it talks about, you know, her various dreams and her various visions. And she says one time when she um, was meditating, enjoying and meditating on a certain saying in the gospel, it says she became drowsy and fell asleep and she was led into a vision. Um, and these visions and these kind of drowsy states where she's slipping into different brain waves, she says, This state was so delightful and holy that I begged the one who was leading me not to let me ever leave it. And she says, I wish I did not need to eat so I could remain standing in prayer. And she says... This might be in the uh, memorial because that's what I was reading. Well, that this is all in the memorial, but this might be in maybe like another chapter where the friar, so her sort of brother confessor scribe continues to talk about her steps beyond step 20. There, I think there are, I don't know how many more steps, but he... Uh, summarizes them into seven steps and I was reading that today and she talks about let me see if I can go to it otherwise I just will remember it okay here we are um so this is when she is I think on okay she has gone on a pilgrimage she had a really ecstatic sort of experience she was like praying all the way there and um, to, it was an SEC pilgrimage. And she said, once I was back home, I felt so peaceful and was filled with divine sweetness um, that I also had a desire to die. I wanted to attain the source of this experience and not lose it. That is why I wanted to leave this world. 
Um, she says, Lord, take pity on me and do not allow me to remain any longer in this world. And um, then she's kind of like, that's it. And so I guess that I've kind of complicated it by, you know, going past the, the dreaming waking. But um, so they say, so people say that, scientists say, um, and researchers of this say that, you know, there's a really interest, interesting kind of correlation between sleeping and dreaming and the brain states um, in our altered state of stages of consciousness during sleep and uh, meditative wakefulness. So um, I've seen a, quite a few videos that kind of mention that most people in sort of a doing productive um, even stressed out, chronically stressed state, stay in beta or high beta brain waves. And uh, this can really lead to insomnia. It can lead to um, various chronic illnesses. It can lead to just general fatigue um, and anxiety because, because our body really uh, needs to transition from from maybe something like a really fast brain wave and of course I'm just kind of struggling because I'm not a scientist I'm not an expert on this part but um trying to just communicate it as best I can but I would you know suggest anyone kind of look it up but when people are in meditative states and kind of quiet their mind, focus on their breathing, whether it's a guided meditation or they're just trying to visualize something positive, um, they can switch to alpha and then even theta. And so they can start to slow down their brain waves. And, um, and this is what happens when we drift off to sleep. And so they can kind of maybe even fall out of the analytic mind of consciousness and be in a more receptive place to feel emotions like gratitude and love and receive instead of try to produce thoughts. And it seems that that's what she's describing here with her frequent multiple comments on the, you know, trying to compare and contrast, um, you know, her states of wakefulness, her states of sleep, talking about the difference between sort of having visions and being spoken to in her dreams and then in her meditative wakeful states. And, uh, you know, she, as she says, it's, it's good in both states, but she she's spending so much time and it really indicates that what we think about and the energy that we put forth and experience throughout the day um, enters into our starts to enter into our subconscious and really affect even our dreams because I mean I think there's still a lot to be discovered about dreams and the purpose of them um, a lot of people say that they you know some dreams are to consolidate memories others are to um, sort of allow memories to be processed and let go of and of course um, you know there's something about like our spinal fluid kind of washing over um, I guess I think it's called the gray matter um, in our brains and so 
And so when we can, these meditative states are just scientifically beneficial to us. And that's why I think that, you know, if you do start to meditate and you understand how to do it, um, that it, you know, you incorporate emotions and energies and really slow down your brain waves. If you are, if you're really, um, I think feeling like you're, yeah, if you're really understanding how to do it, I don't know, anyway, any other way to say it, um, you are creating this coherence, coherence between your brain and your heart and um, your body, which is a more conducive state for health. You know, our bodies have miraculous abilities to heal and but we have to we have to facilitate sort of those states so that our body can heal and um so yeah so this is you know her holistic sort of treatment of basically her spiritual journey that in, that includes to a great part meditation um, and visualization and manifestation. So uh, let's see. Okay, so maybe I'll go back a little bit and see if there's anything I can say. Okay, so it's in 12 steps where she says that um, she has a need to, oh, I guess the, the second thing. So, okay, so the part about her wanting to. Um, to die and to never leave this state, I think that it can get really addictive being in those states. Um, and I've watched, I've watched videos on people with near-death experiences who have also begged to not come back um, because they were in such a feeling of like being bathed in the light of love and then you know because they're making a video and telling us they were told they had to come back and even Angela you know she couldn't stay in these states she would always say that you know the presence left her gently and gradually and so she was thankful for that but I think that's just another interesting I don't have a lot to say about it but I think that's just an an interesting aspect of you know going on this journey and meeting whatever it is having contact with whatever it is whether it's our evolved self an elevated version of ourself um you know the formless spirit that is creative and generous and benevolent feeling a connection with uh, you know with collective consciousness feeling a connection to all of creation you know whatever it is it is a, it is a lovely state and you want to carve out a great deal of time to pursue it and you know because you're curious about it and it also you know is lovely feeling I don't know well not feeling not being in fear all the time or not being in disappointment or dissatisfaction all the time I have to turn down my heater just a second like I'm in class I always like occasionally I'm like I'll have to tell my students I have to get the door I have to get my delivery and whatever wherever I've 
you know, ordered. Okay, so um, let's see. So she says in the 12th step that um, she was assailed by numerous contrary temptations. So she's still dealing with, you know, various challenges and difficulties, spiritual, I don't know what you want to call it. I was going to say demons, but that seems too metaphorical for me um but she says that everyone tried she said moreover everyone tried to dissuade me from my resolution to become poor and i don't know if i can find it but you just have to trust me on this that people are particularly preoccupied with her health. Let's see, there's, okay, so here's maybe one. Um, Okay, I thought I saw it. Skipping around here. Oh, maybe, maybe we already passed it with her companion coming in. Okay, I'll go to the other thing that I was going to say because I just, for some reason, I don't see it. Okay, so the other thing that I thought was really interesting in this part was that Okay, sorry, was that she has frustration with the time that it takes She says that at at each, and I think here she's around step 16, so she's quite a ways along her path, right? Um, These steps, this method to, uh, you know, whatever the goal is, you know, however you want to articulate that. She said, at each of these previous steps, I lingered for a good while before I was able to move on to the next step. In some of the steps, I lingered longer and for a shorter time in others. And she says, nothing is written here about how sluggish the soul's progress is, how bound it is, how shackled are its feet, and how ill-served it is by the world and the devil. I think that's so interesting because even... Even in later steps, she is tormented. Um, Okay, here, oh, here's another part of where she's kind of hearing criticisms. So this is around the 18th step. She's dealing with not wanting to eat so she could, you know, be in prayer, as I mentioned. And she said, moreover, when people said that I was possessed by the devil because I had no control over my inordinate behavior, for which I was greatly ashamed, I would concur with their judgment and likewise think of myself as very sick and possessed. I could not answer those who spoke ill of me. 
Um, and she says that many times during her visualizations, she would come down with a fever and fall sick. Her companion even hid paintings of the passion, um, doing her best to keep them out of my sight is what she says. She, okay, here it is. It's in the 19th step where she talks about, um, you know, the difficulty of kind of carving out time. So I'm gonna, should I make a caveat? Okay, no, I'm gonna continue. (laughs) Sorry, there's so many ideas in my head. Um, So she says, I think it is, yeah, the 19th step still. She says, though I was still full of doubts, And what I was reading today, I think, um, she talks, well, if I can remember, what she was, what I was reading today, I guess I don't have to find every particular, um, passage. I think it was around the 20th step, the 21st step, because the, um, after these 20 steps, she goes on to other for other to other steps she talks about a time where she had the greatest joy but the greatest torment and so one thing I wanted to say um, about you know her doubts that she has throughout and that crop up and how she allows people to influence her and even wonder you know am I sick am I is this path healthy what am I really doing you know instead of trusting her own intuition and you know on the other hand it is good to to reflect and just check in with ourselves and make sure that you know that we are really being healthy and good to ourselves etc um but the point that i think that i'm getting here is that oh this is going back to you know that it's that it's not linear and I think that many people are hesitant, perhaps, to announce that they are maybe, like I did in my last video, um, going through a spiritual awakening or that they are something, they are pursuing the path of a yogi or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Because I think there can be so much potential internal criticism as well as external criticism um, that has the tendency to want to put people in boxes to test them. You know, you say that you're X, so why are you acting Y? Or why are you feeling like this? Or why are you still struggling with these things? Or, you know, you said that, you know, your body was miraculous. You, why aren't you healing yourself? Or whatever it is. You know, and I, I don't think it just is about the spiritual path, I think that it is, you know, saying, you know, making this step to say, I'm a writer, or I'm a musician, or I'm this, without qualifications, without disclaimers. Because by saying that, by making that articulation, that's very powerful. And it all it indicates, though, is a commitment to be on a path, to start on a path, to be an initiate on whatever, you know, I am a writer, doesn't necessarily mean that I published a book, you know, it means that, you know, more days than not, I sit down and I write, you know, I work on, I'm working on something, or I enjoy writing, whether I'm going to publish it or people are going to see it or not, 
or I'm a musician. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean I'm a great musician or I ever want people to hear me or I know more than you know a handful of chords or play more than a handful of songs. It means that I'm committed to to learning and I'm enjoying it and this is what I want to incorporate into my life. And so I love that she she includes all of it. And I think it like that reminder just may help you be compassionate to yourself and give yourself the courage to say I am this without discrediting yourself before other people can as a protective measure because you are the agent and creator of your life and you are the voice that you need to listen to on your path as well So, let's see. Okay, so I think pretty much we're at the end of of these 20 steps. And what I wanted to say um, yeah, so the next part um, I will probably just save for another video. I'm just really surprised that I, I got through it all because I usually just ramble way too much. But, um, but yeah, so next time I'll probably, well, I will go on to, it's called chapter two. So there's a short place where um, the brother scribe explains the organization and the rationale for sort of the rest of it. And it's basically, he talks about the summary or schema of the memorial for all the steps following the 19th. And then he starts to, and then he returns to her talking about her um, revelations. But this time she is going on various pilgrimages and her pilgrimage to Assisi and um, to Rome are really interesting. So we'll get into that next time. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have comments, um, just join the conversation. That's really what this is about. I just want to hear your thoughts and your experiences and um, yeah, and what you, if you've pulled other things out of this text, let me know.